0: Hey guys, this is Reagan Rose with the Redeeming Productivity Show. You know, I feel like I've been starting a lot of these episodes lately with some version of, we're doing something a little bit different this week. Well, I'm going to say it again here. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different. And the reason is because I'm going to be sharing with you a sermon that I preached uh, just recently, April 3rd at Harvest Bible Church in Westland, Michigan. My text was the parable of the talents from Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30. And this is one of the primary passages that deals with stewardship in the new Testament. And so I wanted to share it with you because a biblical understanding of stewardship is absolutely critical to having a Christian approach to personal productivity. And so I've mentioned this parable many times on the podcast, but I've never really given a full treatment. And so here it is. So I hope you enjoy it, and I hope this message blesses you. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25? It's Matthew chapter 25. Uh, My name is Reagan Rose, by the way. It is my joy to get to open the word this morning with you. It's Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 30, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, Even what he has will be taken away. And cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We live in an age that really hates responsibility, don't we? There are whole industries set up really to dodge responsibility as much as possible. You see it everywhere from the outrageously long terms of service that you don't read when you download a new app. You see it in the absurd abundance of warning labels on everything you buy. I saw a shirt the other day that it said you should iron it before you wear it, and then it was quick to add that you shouldn't iron it while you're wearing the shirt. (laughs) Because if you do that, their, their point is, if you do that, it's not our fault. It's not our fault. And that's what it's all about. It's a world of finger pointing, passing the buck, shifting the blame to somebody else. If you've ever been stuck in the endless limbo between your health insurance and your hospital billing department, you know that the whole thing's set up to send you on a merry-go-round ride. But it's not just industries, it's not just companies, it's not just the government, but individuals. We, we have a society that encourages us to dodge responsibility. We've been trained to find potential scapegoats for our problems everywhere we look. If things aren't going right, you can blame your psychology, you can blame your genetics, you can blame society, you can blame the government, you can blame your family, you can blame your upbringing, you can even blame the banks. And that one I'm not going to argue with you on. You don't need to take responsibility, that's the message. Struggling to succeed, blame the system. Don't want to have that baby? Get rid of it. Tired of that marriage? Get a divorce. Instead of facing up to the responsibilities of life, taking personal responsibility, we've learned to run away and play the blame game. And the results are obvious, aren't they? Throughout society, of this sort of uh, estule of personal responsibility. You look at the skyrocketing abortion rates, you look at the rampant divorce, the epidemic levels of fatherlessness, not to mention alcoholism, drug addiction, all manner of sinful indulgence used as an escape from responsibility. And we too, we run from responsibility, perhaps even to more respectable diversions, don't we? Endless entertainment binges, fantasy worlds, overindulgence in, in Gaming, or even just burying your face in your smartphone. And we say, Oh, I, I need to get away. I need to uh, have an escape. An escape from what? Often, what we're looking for is an escape from our responsibilities. Indeed, we live in irresponsible times. We do. And the Bible calls us to take responsibility. And it starts in the gospel of Jesus Christ, doesn't it? For to come to Christ in faith, you must repent of your sins. But to repent means first to be convicted. It means first to own what you've done, doesn't it? To admit, I am a sinner. I did that. I own it. And then to turn with glorious thankfulness And full faith on Jesus Christ who has taken those sins away for us. But it begins by owning up to it, doesn't it? It begins with responsibility. And what I want to talk to you today about is this passage in Matthew 25, which talks about the responsibility of a Christian. Of once you have come to Christ, what is it that you have been charged to do? What is the Christian life about? What are we supposed to do? Are we just counting out the minutes until Christ returns or until we pass into glory? Or is it that there is work to be done? Is it that Christ has given us a glorious and wonderful and privileged mission which we can go into with all of our might? It's the latter. (laughs) It's that. We're talking about stewardship. Stewardship. Um, Stewardship is, is really, it's just taking responsibility for something that belongs to someone else. In many ways, you know, when we talk about personal responsibility, it's one thing to be responsible for your own stuff, but it does sort of up the ante when we talk about being responsible for something that belongs to someone else, right? If you've ever been at a, at a coffee shop and the person next to you is working on their laptop and they say, can you watch my stuff while I you know, run to the restroom? I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I don't get anything done. I can't. If I'm talking to someone, I am fully focused Because if this thing's gone, it's on me. I'm watching the exits, you know? Is anyone coming in? Is there any laptop thieves in the area? You know, I'm scrolling, checking the police reports, turning on the police scanner. Because it's not mine. And so you take it more seriously, right? And what we find in this passage, in this parable of the talents, is that Christ himself has entrusted us with immense responsibility, with an incredible stewardship with these lives. And we must take it seriously because it is a big deal and it is an amazing privilege. And so, as we look at this parable, um, wanna, as we walk through it, we're gonna draw out a few principles and some observations about the Christian life, about stewardship, what it means to live as a Christian faithfully. And we'll go through it. We've organized it around three acts. We're going to talk about the scenario, the stewardship, and then the settlement. So in the beginning here, we look at the scenario. So this is the first point, if you're taking notes, the scenario. And we see this in verses 14 and 15. And it begins here at the start of verse 14 with the master's journey. The passage begins, for it will be like a man going on a journey. First question, what's it? What's it? Well, if you scroll your finger back up to uh, verse 1 of chapter 25, you'll find Jesus begins this chapter with a previous parable, the parable of the ten virgins, saying, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. That's what he's talking about down in 14 as well. It will be like. The kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Throughout these parables, he's explaining how this works. The economics, really, of the kingdom of heaven. What it, how, how that functions, what it means to be a part of it, what our duties and responsibilities are as subjects of the king of kings. And so it will be like a, the, the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so, so this parable is going to tell us something about what the kingdom of heaven will be like. And you say it will be like a man going on a journey. A man going on a journey. And so the whole context here uh, th- from... Chapter twenty-five or twenty-four through twenty-five is what's called the Olivet Discourse, or some people call it Jesus's eschatological discourse. And the reason we say eschatological is because it's really fun to say. <laughs> eschatological, be bop, ba do bop. You know, it's really good. You could rap to it. <laughs> but really, it's just talking about end times, things to come, future events. And what's happening here is Jesus is is talking to his disciples because he's the one who's going to leave. Who is, the, who is the master here who's leaving on the journey? Jesus is talking about himself. Because not long after that, he is going to be crucified. He's going to subsequently rise from the dead, and then he's going to ascend to heaven. And so he's preparing his disciples for his departure. And all throughout chapter 24 and 25, he's giving final warnings. He's giving them prophecies. He's giving them encouragements before he leaves. Because he's leaving them to care for his, his kingdom while he is away for an undisclosed period of time, before he returns again in the fullness of the kingdom to reign here on earth. He is leaving them with some instructions. So he's going away. In fact, if you flip over a little bit to Luke 19, there's a parallel parable, which I didn't think of how ridiculous that said when I wrote that down. A parallel parable but it's really, it's, it's, it's essentially, it's one of the, the ten minas, and it's the same sort of story. Perhaps Jesus told this at a different time with some different details, um, but it essentially has the same point to it. In that one, when he talks about the master going away on a journey, look at verse, uh, Luke 19, verse 12, he says, uh, he, he said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So there's a little, in this version of it with the ten minas, that, that, master has left to go receive a kingdom. And so it's plain here that this is talking about Jesus. And so in, in the parable, the master of the house is leaving and he's leaving his servants in charge of some things. So the question is, as he's explaining this to us, what is it that we, his servants, are to do while he is away? What are his instructions? Well, we've been given a responsibility while the king is away. And this is the master's charge. We're still in in the first point of the scenario. But if you look in the rest of verse 14, continuing through 15, we see what the master's charge to his servants is. So it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and then he went away. And then he went away. And I was thinking about as so I was preparing this message uh, about how serious of a thing it is to watch over someone's estate. Have you ever done house sitting? It's a big deal. I mean, it's worse than a laptop thing, right? I mean, you're like, okay, the house is going to definitely burn down while I'm here. <laughs> like, you're thinking worst case scenarios. My wife and I, we lived in Los Angeles. Um, we lived in an RV for a couple years, which is a story for another time. But perhaps out of pity, I don't know, people often asked us to watch their houses, and we were like, yes, we need the square footage. (laughs) We we need to stretch out a little. And we had a friend who very often they would uh, have us watch their house while they're on vacation. Well, one July, and I'll tell you why I know it was July in a minute, we went over there, me, my wife, and our dog Harvey, and they had a dog and a cat. We were just watching their place. And we, it was close enough to our work where we could commute to work and come back. One day, we came back from work. And the reason I knew it was July is because there was fireworks everywhere. You know, not just, you know how it is. The, the kids get the fireworks, and it's not just Fourth of July. It's like a quarter of the year is fireworks for some reason. And we learned that our dog, Harvey, does not like fireworks very much. And so he had, I don't know, a, a canine panic attack, and he tried to burrow through the front door. Was the only way I can describe it. It wasn't just he scratched it up. There was a, a concave marking. He'd made significant progress, you know. <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was like Shawshank Redemption. Um, <laughs> we got home and we're horrified. Because this is not our house. This is not our house. Our dog has made some serious damage. And I don't remember. Did they have us come back again? I don't remember if they did, Kim. <laughs> they, might, they might not have. In any case, the, to watch over someone's estate, because that's, that's, that's the imagery here. Watch the master saying to the servants, this is, all my, this is my estate. You watch over it. You watch over it. Make sure nothing goes wrong with it. But it's more than that, as we'll see. It's more than that. And the key word here is this entrusted, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. Tr- they're trusting them with it. And so he, he, he doles out these talents, right? So what are the talents? What are the talents? Um, it's not like a talent show, you know? <laughs> it's It's not, it's it's a unit of measure. Uh, A talent, which it probably is, uh, he's talking about talents of gold, that's what most commentators think. That would have been worth about 20 years wages for a laborer. That is a significant sum of money. That's a fortune. And that's just to one of them. So he, he gives one five, one two talents, and one one. So the guy who had the least, 20 years, that's a lot. The guy, 100 years of wages. A lot was entrusted to him. But when I say what are the talents, what what I mean is what does this represent in the parable? What is Jesus um, getting at here? Well, you know, the big picture is he's charging the stewards with the care of something that belongs to him. So it's some aspect of his estate. I think we can get some clues here. It's something that belongs to Jesus that he's entrusting to us if he's the master and we're the servants. It's something that we can invest and make a return on for him, as we'll see in the parable. Okay. It's something that can be taken back and, and given to another, we see at the end of the parable. So, so what could this be referring to? Well, I think broadly, as, I, as I've alluded to, that it has something to do with, with some aspect of some care of some corner of his kingdom that's been trusted to each of us. I think there's many things that fall into this uh, as categories. One very obvious, obvious one is we talk about stewardship. Often we, in the church, we talk about money, right? I think that definitely is a part of it your money. The talents you're to steward include your money, your opportunities, your other resources, your time, your energy, your career, your skills, your abilities. Yeah, I guess even your literal talents and your spiritual gifts. Indeed, the talents are everything that Christ has entrusted to our care. It's a portion of his estate, a portion of his kingdom. It's something that, that he has given us to watch over, and it includes our whole lives. Because mark it. If the talents are something that doesn't belong to us, the scriptures are clear that all of our lives actually belong to God. 1 Corinthians 4.7 reads, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? The point is clear. Every, what do you have that you didn't receive? What is it that you can say, this is mine, this doesn't belong to God? Nothing. Nothing. Even more clear, 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20 reads, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God with your body. We talk a lot about redemption, being redeemed by Christ. You know what that means? It means he bought you with the blood of Jesus Christ, bought you out of the slave market of sin and into the household of God. Bon Jovi says, it's my life. You <laughs> say, it's not your life. It belongs to God. And so what does that mean? It means that the, the, the whole of what we are charged to steward is all of our lives. And this sounds like a heavy thing. But as I've said several times already, it's a privilege that my life can be a living sacrifice. That I can steward this. I can use my time. I can use my job. I can use my my special giftings, even my spiritual gifts in the church to serve the God who saved me. What a joy to be a steward of the King of Kings. To use our lives to glorify him. That's what this is about. But it is about taking responsibility for that and being serious about that. He's left you with a unique responsibility to look after and improve some area of his kingdom. He's charged you to steward your life in a way that will bring him honor. But what he's entrusted to us will differ person to person, right? I mean, even look in the parable here in verse 15. To one he gave five, another two, another one, to each according to his ability. God has gifted us each differently, and that's okay. A couple observations about that, about the the uneven distribution of the talents here. In one sense, I mean, it's very clear from the parable, different amounts of gifts. Not everyone uh, has been given the same. Everyone has at least one talent. Um, And notice, mark it, that that's no small amount. The guy with one talent, 20 years, that's a lot. Often it's easy to compare our gifts to those around us and say, oh, well, Lord's not trusting me with much, you know, so I won't do much with it. <laughs> That's what that guy did, right? The third steward. That's the wrong attitude. God gives no little gifts. If you compare yourself with the people around you, the believers around you, and say, oh, I'm not as gifted as so-and-so, I, I, can't, I can't play the guitar like Nicholas. Don't think that way. God gives no little gifts. It might look it might be differing amounts, but it's no little gifts. We've all been given different gifts. And different kinds of gifts too, not just different in amount, but different kinds. And this is sort of implied here, but God gives these two of us differently, doesn't He? We differ in natural giftings. Some of us are, are stronger, some of us are weaker when we compare ourselves to one another. Some of us have greater gifts in intellect, someone less gifts in intellect. We differ in providential giftings, different opportunities, different upbringings, different things like that. And of course, in spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. But notice that he says that it's each according to their ability. Don't miss that in verse 15. He apportions to each one according to their ability. It's a very interesting statement. There was a guy some years ago who, um, he was an investor and he had a unique strategy for investing. He would approach lottery winners and apparently how it works is if you win the lottery, you can either take a lump sum, which is gonna be a lot less, or you can, they'll pay you like monthly over a long, long time, okay? So what this guy do would do is he'd see these guys in the news and he'd get a hold of them, he'd say, listen, I, take the monthly option, I will buy the right to that from you, and I will give you a bigger lump sum. And so he would just go around and buy people out of their lottery winnings. What's interesting, he wrote a book about this. He kept up with all the people who he bought out of these things, these people who had been given massive lumps of money all at once. And nearly every single one of them destroyed their lives within five years. Destroy absolutely just ruinous We've all known people who have been given things that exceed their ability, and that's what that is. They weren't ready for it. And what's wonderful about this is is you can feel sometimes, oh, I I haven't been gifted in the same way as so-and-so. Well, trust the one who knows you best to give you exactly what you need to grow, and then steward that well. Whether it's small or large, the charge is to be faithful with whatever he's given to you. And he who is faithful in a little, he will set over much. That's the point here. It it's not about the amount. It's about the faithfulness of the stewards. And then he leaves. End of verse 15. Then he went away. So he goes away on this journey. And the absence of the master in this parable is really what gives it its drama, is what are they going to do while he's gone? What are they going to do while the master is away? There is this temptation, right, to be unfaithful when he's not there. There's a temptation, right, when your boss is not in the office. Woo, party. That's when we're tempted to slack off. But the point of this parable, as we'll see, is that a lot hangs on our faithfulness to the master while he's away. And this is so applicable to us. We're waiting eagerly. We, want, we can't wait for Christ's return. We'll be faithful in the meantime with what he has given us to steward. Will we use it well? Will we use it well? And that brings us to the second act here. So the first act in this parable was the scenario, and that was verses 14 through 15. Now let's turn to the stewardship, and this we see in 16 through 18. The stewardship. Verse 16, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money." So there's sort of two types of stewards. The first two, we can categorize, we'll say these were the responsible ones, the responsible stewards, and the second one we'll call him the renegade steward. So I think there's a couple characteristics you see when you look at the two responsible stewards. I mean, one, both of them, they doubled what had been given to them, which is a pretty impressive return. You're like, wow, that's pretty amazing in this economy. 100% returns, that's wonderful. (laughs) But there's a couple of things you notice about them. First is that they are diligent. They're diligent. They're diligent. Look at look at the first steward there in verse 16. He would receive the five talents, went at once, went at once. He didn't wait. The second the master left, he set about his work. He took it seriously. He was diligent. He didn't delay to obey. He was proactive in his faithfulness. Reminds me a lot of Abraham when God called him to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son that you love, Isaac. What did Abraham do? He didn't hem and haw. In fact, it says that he arose early the next day and went to obey. Wow. He didn't delay to obey. And faithful Christians, we set about our work quickly. We're diligent in it. We don't waste time. The second characteristics you you see about these responsible stewards is not not, not only are they diligent, they're faithful. And their faithfulness required them to seek out opportunities, to seek out opportunities. One thing that surprises me about this parable when you're reading it, the, the master gives them almost no instruction. He just says, watch over this stuff. And then he leaves. He almost When you first read it, you're like, should he really have come down so hard on the third one? Like, how is he supposed to know, you know? But faithfulness requires you to seek out opportunities. You know, sometimes when you uh, are looking for a job, often the, the posting will say something about, you know, we want self-starters. We want people that are, like, internally motivated, right? And, that, and it makes sense, right? I, I, I had a I had an intern many years ago who was not a self-starter. It didn't end up working out. And the issue was is I had to chase him around. I sh- I had to go in and say, "Okay, here's what you need to do now." And then he'd finish that instead of coming back and asking what next, he'd just go on YouTube. And So I'd have to go find him and say, okay, here's what you do next. He'd do that, and then he'd disappear again. And when I left, if I was out of the office for a day, I had zero confidence that anything would get done that day. Zero confidence. I didn't trust that he would be faithful to be a self-starter, that he would seek out opportunities. And I think so often with us, um, we seek to be faithful with, with opportunities, sure, as they come along, right? But I think that there is a proactiveness that you see in these stewards that sometimes it's lost on us. If, if you have been gifted in certain ways, you should, you should actively try to find ways to use those. For example, in the church, if, if you believe or, or, or have an inkling that you're spiritually gifted in a certain way, make yourself available. I'm not saying to insert yourself and be like, you know what, I think I should be leading all the ministries now, because I'm gifted, I, have all the, I look at the spiritual gifts, I do all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, ma- I maxed out my stats. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> but humbly, make yourself available. So I, I, you know what? I think the Lord's give, gifted me to an administration organizing things. I do this at work, and, and I think I'm good at it. I would love Is there a way I can help here? Make yourself available. Seek it out. And I would even go further with this, that even in your employment, even what you do with, with your, your, your um you know, the most uh, fruitful hours of your day. Seek out, if possible, jobs, opportunities to use what God has designed you to be best at. Look for those things as possible. And whatever your hand finds do be faithful in it. Do it with all your might. So these uh, responsible stewards, they are diligent, they are faithful, and they're successful. Look at this at the end here. Like I said, they doubled their investment it's very interesting that this is in the parable um, because it's not true that we are going to definitely be successful temporally just because we are good stewards, right? Um, very very likely, if you are faithful to Christ, you will experience persecution. You may lose your job over it, you know? This isn't, uh, this isn't the prosperity gospel. But if you are faithful in your stewardship, if you seek to wisely use what the Lord has entrusted you, you will find eternal success. The Lord will bless your sincere efforts. And as we'll see, there is reward for that. We'll look at that in just a moment. And so they find success because they're faithful and they're diligent in their work. But the third steward was a different story, isn't he? So I call him the renegade steward in verse 18. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. You see, three characteristics with him, too. The first is that he's irresponsible. He's the opposite of diligent. Instead of quickly finding some way to employ this, to invest this money, to, to use what is given to his charge, he literally dug a hole and put, put it in the ground. He didn't rise to the occasion. But what's interesting about him, I think, is that he didn't do, he didn't do the worst thing ever. Like, it's not like he stole the money and disappeared, It's not like he lost it because he just wasn't paying attention. Like, at least he buried it, right? But the issue here was that he had been charged not to protect it, but to use it, to invest it. The problem isn't that he doesn't lose it, he just doesn't improve it. And that is how it is with stewardship. You have been entrusted by God... To improve what he has given to you, to invest it, to use it, to make use of your gifts, your opportunities, your time, your energies, not to just hide them away. Because in this story, that's called faithlessness. Does anyone know what the uh, term NIB sealed means, nib sealed? Any collectors? Nib seal. Yeah, new in box. Yeah. New in box, sealed. That's, if you're going on eBay, you're buying some collectible toys, you want it to be new in box, sealed. All right? It's never been opened. Even the seal hasn't been broken. When I was a kid, I collected Star Wars toys, far too many Star Wars toys. And I try, you know, people told me, you, sh- you should collect those and keep them pristine. And I'm like, I'm a kid. <laughs> I'm going to play with these. <laughs> so none of them are nib sealed. But, you know, some people, they, they, they obsess about that. I understand why. It's an, it's an investment. They don't want them to lose value. But my argument is toys were meant to be played with. And gifts are meant to be used. If God has entrusted you with something, he's entrusted you to use it, to steward it, to employ it for some good end so that he might be glorified and honored through that. Why was the third servant so irresponsible, though? I think that we have some clues as to his motivation. He's not just irresponsible. He was also distrusting and disloyal of the master. This is so interesting that it comes out, his thought process. Look ahead at verses 24 and 25. It says, He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. Wow. Like, not only does he, he doesn't say even sorry. He's just like, you're a bad person. He didn't trust the master. He didn't trust him. The explanation for his faithlessness, for his irresponsible, for his lack of stewardship was that he didn't trust the master. He accuses him even of wickedness. I think what's going on here is he didn't believe that the master was one who rewards faithfulness. That's what I think is happening. And in his contempt for the master, he refused to steward what was entrusted to him. He hid it away, so, you know, thinking, oh, I mean, at least I won't get in trouble. I'll hide it here. I won't lose it. But I'm not doing something for that guy. I don't trust him. And ultimately what this is, it was disloyalty. If, if you still have a thumb in Luke 19, I don't have a thumb there. I would have had to have cut it off and left it there, which I wasn't going to do for you guys. Luke 19, remember I told you there's there's the the parallel parable over here. There's a little more color uh, at this part, too, in the parable of the ten minas. If you look at uh, verse 13 and 14, he says, Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And I think it's it's implied in in that parable that the faithless stewards were among those who hated this new king. That's why they didn't trust him. That's why they were irresponsible. That's why they were disloyal. They hated him. And we must take care that our failure to steward God's gifts faithfully, it, does, it doesn't just come down to laziness. Do you understand this? Like, what's the opposite of laziness? I'd say it's, it's motivation. If, if you're lazy, you lack motivation, right? You're, if you're lazy, you lack motivation. Why is it that we lack motivation? Well, very often, it's because we lack loyalty. We lack loyalty to the king. And I think that's what's happening with this third steward, and we're going to see, very much so, that he had no loyalty, he had no faith in him. But what we'll find is that there is an accounting for our stewardship. And that brings us to the third act here, and that's number three, the settlement. Verses 19 through 30, the settlement. The master returns. Verse 19, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him there will be a reckoning. There will be a reckoning. There is a day of judgment that is coming where God will settle accounts. And there's two sides to this. There's one, the terrifying side of those who are against Christ, and there is the wonderful, expected joy of reward for those who are faithful, who have trusted in Christ. Even in Revelation um, 11, 18, it says, The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. You, you read that and you, you hear, well, Okay, wrath, okay, destroy, destroying the destroyers. And sometimes you just skip over the rewarding of your servants. Part of the expectation we have as Christians, who put our, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, is the eager expectation of reward, heavenly reward. That's what a wonderful motivation that is. And it's part and parcel of our faith, isn't it? For to trust in Christ is to trust that he is a keeper of his promises, that he will reward us at the last day, according to what Christ has done, but we'll see in just a moment, also according to how faithful we are with these lives. So we look at the master's return. We see the master's reward here in verses 20 through 23. Look look at there again in Matthew 25, verses 20 through 23. He says, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the master. And he also, who had had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Jesus is a rewarder of faithfulness. And real quick, we have a limited time left, but real quick, I want to Explain something that often I just find is we miss this sometimes in our understanding of how uh, it works with eternal reward. So sometimes we can get kind of like fidgety. Read this stuff about what do you mean he's rewarding their faithfulness, right? You maybe have these two questions looming in the back of your mind. One is okay, but isn't the reward for Christians eternal life, or right? isn't heaven the reward? And if so, isn't, isn't the reward based on our faith in Jesus Christ? Like, we don't contribute any works to it? So how is, how is there some reward tied to what seems like works? Isn't, it, isn't that something messed up about that? And the second question I think that can be in the back of our minds is, isn't it wrong to be motivated to do good because of the reward? Like, that seems kind of weird too. Like, we're saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to be faithful because God's going to reward me for it. That seems kind of mercenary. So first, it is true, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. But there is more to eternal reward than just heaven. This is clear throughout Scripture. I'm going to zoom through a couple things here, um, just give you a high level. Mike talked about this last week when he was uh, speaking about how it's God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He 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 talked about Ephesians 2.10, that not only we're saved apart from works, but unto good works that we would walk in them. Right so the, as, as a Christian if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ there is still a uh, um, duty that is uh, upon you but it doesn't it's not so you can earn salvation you understand but there is still a reward for being faithful in the good works put before us and I think the best place to look for this we're going there all right go go to 1 Corinthians 3:10 through 15 I'm going to try to get you out on time pray for me 1 Corinthians Three t- or pray for your stomachs, you know? Well, it may have, a, have to have a fish and loaves thing here. Um, 1, Corinthians 10, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. <clears throat> this is uh, Apostle Paul, and he's speaking about uh, the life of a Christian. So he says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day, which is a reference to judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see, there's a separation between salvation, which is yours by faith in Jesus Christ, and there are rewards for faithfulness. And this is all all throughout the New Testament, and we've been saying about it a little bit ago. The, the don't Matthew six nineteen through twenty. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is heavenly reward that is given to Christians who walk faithfully with Christ. I mean, we can talk about the different crowns and stuff. Um, I have to skip all these cross-references. Uh, <laughs> the point is this. I'll leave it to John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress. He put it this way. Whatever good thing you do for him, if done according to his word, is laid up for you as treasure in chests and coffers, to be brought out, to be rewarded before both men and angels to you, your eternal comfort. It's not talking about earning your salvation. It's talking about storing up treasure in heaven. Your faithfulness will be rewarded. This is there's a very long way for me to say. Your faithfulness to Christ will not. You will not be disappointed. There is no one that on the last day will say, Oh boy, I gave too much of my life to Christ. I I was overly faithful. Because God is a faithful. Rewarder. It's part and parcel of his promise. Think about Abraham. Okay, Abraham. He's commended for his faith, remember? He's commended for his faith. It says he believed God and that faith is credited to him as righteousness, right? What's the faith? It says that he believed God. And what he believed was the promises of God. The promise to Abraham that he would make him a great nation. It was a promise of reward that motivated him. Same with Moses. Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 through 26 talks about how, how Moses is said to have rejected the passing pleasures of sin and instead choosing the reproaches of Christ. So he left Egypt, pleasures, for reproach. What kind of a transaction is that? Why would he choose reproach over pleasures? It tells us, verse 26, for he looked to the reward. Heavenly reward is offered to us in Scripture as the highest motivation for our serving Christ. It's not just heaven. This is what motivates, this is what drives you, is that I believe my God's a promise-keeping God. I believe that he's a rewarder of faithfulness. I want to store up treasure in heaven. Galatians 6.9, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And this is not a mercenary motive. This is, you say, well, but, 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 Reagan. Doesn't the Bible say that we're to do good for goodness sake? That's Santa Claus. You're thinking of, uh, you better watch out, you better, so be good for goodness sake. That's Santa Claus. Over and over again, Scripture presents to us that we are motivated by the promise that God is, is not miserly in rewarding those who serve him well. And it honors him. When we, we forego the passing pleasures of sin and in choose even the reproaches of Christ, we do the hard work of stewarding our gifts well, working with all of our might and all of his might, which he mightily works within us for his glory and for his honor, trusting that he's a God who rewards faithfulness. Real quick, what's the nature of this reward? Well, we see a few things here. Uh, first, is there's a commendation. Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear those words? Don't you, want, when you meet Christ, don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I want that. There is a commendation. There's a commendation for faithfulness. And there's a promotion as well. They're promoted. He's, 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 you've been faithful level? I'll set you over much. I'll set you over much. They're honored with even more responsibility, more opportunity to glorify God in heaven. And there's an invitation. Now enter the joy of your master to become a fuller participant in the joy of his estate, to be with him our highest reward, our highest prize to be with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with his joy to rule and reign with him. But there is, and this is the last thing, there is the master's wrath. And this is hard. The the final verses here, 24 through 30, detail the consequences for faithlessness. Now, this final servant, we see at the very end, verse 30, that he's, he's cast into the outer darkness in that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's plain here that this is not a lax Christian. This is a man who did not really believe Christ. He was disloyal to the master. He didn't really have trust in Jesus Christ, right? And that is what motivated his, his disloyalty to him. And he proved that by his actions. He's cast in the outer darkness because of this. His, his, this character takes what's entrusted with him and wastes it, squanders it, doesn't do anything with it. And that demonstrates his own faithlessness to the master. This is not what you want to be. You don't want to be like the third one. And I'll say this to you. There may be among us here today someone who does not know Jesus Christ. You look like the other servants. You talk like the other servants. You act like the other servants. But Jesus warned us that there will be tares among the wheat. There are people in our midst who don't really, they're not really loyal to Christ. They didn't, haven't really trusted him by faith. And do you, I say, what a mistake you're making you understand. Do you understand that this, this Christ, this rewarder, if, if, if you've known him, if you've been here, if you've heard the gospel, if you've heard what he's done on that cross, to forgive us for our sins, to justify us before a holy God, to give us an inheritance far beyond what we deserve, and to turn away and say, no, I don't want to bow the knee to a master like that. I want to go my own way. You have made a massive folly. But if you are alive, there is still time. There is still time. Turn from your sin. Repent. Confess it. Own it. Take responsibility. Lord, I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. And in full faith, look on Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life that you failed to live, who died a death in the place of all who would confess him as Lord. And who is coming back from that journey with wrath and reward. Look to him and repent. And if you know Christ, let me leave you with a charge and encouragement. Let's take all that he's given us, whatever he's given you, your talents, your money, your opportunities, your time, and live as a steward. Recognize it's not yours. It's all his, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ for use in the advancement of his kingdom. For on that day when he returns, no man, no woman will ever say that their faithfulness was not rewarded adequately. Matthew 19, 29 says, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. It's the best investment to be a faithful steward. So let's labor hard. Let's give generously and let's steward well these lives for the glory of our great God. For more productivity from a Christian worldview, check out my weekly newsletter, Reagan's Roundup. Every Thursday, I share an insight along with the five best links I found that week that I think will help you in your journey to becoming a more productive Christian. It's totally free. Just go to newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com to sign up for Reagan's Roundup. That's newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com.